0: Welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the wonderful world of tabletop gaming that we are currently sort of living in. It has been said, probably on this podcast more than a few times, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are so many fantastic games. I mean, gaming really did hit a dark ages for a little while and you know games may have been a little dry and been a little bland, but Companies have been looking at one another, learning from their mistakes, looking at their own successes, and we are just, we're in a time and a place where there are so many games that we can spend our time or our hobby dollars uh, exploring, playing, collecting, there's just too much to do. And uh, The purpose of this podcast is to talk about the games that I enjoy, or my guests enjoy playing, or what they're working on, and uh, just sort of tease that out a little bit and see what is cool. We also sort of talk about some of the greater, I don't know, big big events in the wargaming slash tabletop gaming industry that are happening, and in the last couple of weeks, we have seen a big one. Uh, but before I get into that, i got to introduce my guest. Now... You will know this man's voice if you have heard me on the podcast that sort of started it all. This was a man that sat across from me the first time I ever podcasted, all those years ago. You might know him as the father of lies. Other people might know him as Ginger Thunder. I call him Nick. But yes, the man, the myth, the legend. I I can't even get into how many wargaining epithets he's got. Nick, welcome to Cast Dice. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me. No worries. Now, for those of you who don't know, um, Nick and I are on a podcast that has recently sort of come back to life. Nick, where can they find our voices?
1: Uh, The Dwellers Blow podcast. Uh, We're on Podbean. We're on iTunes. Uh, We've got a website, Mm -hmm. thedwellersblow.net. And yeah, we've we've literally just posted our second kind of revamp episode a few minutes ago.
0: That's right. Now, for those who don't know, The Dwellers Below was a Warhammer Fantasy Battle podcast. Um, We loved Warhammer Fantasy Battle uh, 8th edition when it dropped. And so we were all experienced wargamers at that point. We came together and um, we did The Dwellers for years. And I sort of splintered off to do the LRDG with Dave of War, who was also a dweller. Um, and Dave kept doing both podcasts for a while, and then he sort of kept going with fantasy battle, whereas I sort of went down the bolt action hole. But, um, now that we have seen a new sort of rebirth of Warhammer, not the rank and flank game that we knew and loved, but, um, the new one, Age of Sigmar point, or 2.0, the, uh, the new version,
1: um, I guess we're all back. Nick, why, why are we doing this? Uh, I think we're doing it cause we all missed each other and, and just wanted to hang out a little bit more. Isn't
0: it? Yeah, man, The karaoke, man. Oh, that's the best
1: part. Warhammer Karaoke. I miss it so much.
0: That's right. But we did do that this year, didn't we? Uh, That old egg, Cousins, had his birthday, or was that last year? We all got together and we sort of drank till we couldn't see straight and then got in front of a karaoke mic and uh, had a good night.
1: I feel like that must have been last year.
0: God, it's been too long regardless, but uh, it was nice to do. But yeah, I guess... You, you, so Warhammer died and I was in the middle of a bunch of other games. So yes, it hurt. Um, and yes, it meant that I didn't see a lot of my friends for a while, you know, outside of the occasional get together. Um, not like we used to. And I guess, um, I, I knew I was busy with other stuff and I was doing a master's and all of these things. And yeah, that, that hurt for me, but you were far more invested in Warhammer. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what it was like when I guess GW pulled the plug on eighth and sort of what you did when they switched.
1: Yeah, it was a, um, it was a pretty big shock for me cause I'd been over in Europe for yeah, a bit over 12 months mm-hmm. and the, the end of eighth edition start of AOS kind of coincided with me coming back from, from Europe back to Australia. So, uh, I'd been a, a dweller's listener rather than a dweller's, uh, member for a while. And yeah, it was a big shock to come back and the scene that I knew, that had kind of been thriving when I left, had had basically exploded.
0: So, why don't you tell us a little bit about what the Warhammer scene in Melbourne was like towards the end of eighth? Because um, I don't think a lot of people may have that context.
1: Yeah, so we were we were, you know, I was hosting events. Uh, the dwellers were hosting events. Heaps of people had. I mean, there were events everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, we were, we were looking at 150 plus players at some events, uh, in Australia, which was Mm -hmm. just crazy numbers. That was the, pretty much the biggest that had ever been. Um, so it was in a really great spot. It was growing. That was, the community was awesome. The, you know, the, the weekends weren't just tournaments. They were, they were just gaming weekends where everyone just came to hang out and and chill out together. And it was just amazing what, what the, the, the place the scene was in. And, yeah then i came back and it was all kind of all kind of gone
0: yeah sort of uh it almost overnight i mean uh, i guess i mean games workshop to their credit when age of sigmar happened they sent the dwellers and a bunch of other big podcasts and big people in the community visible people um sort of promotional copies of age of sigmar um not <laughs> the four page rule thing that they gave out for free um the actual some of the models um some of the big pretty books um, to get people you know, to, I guess to maintain people's enthusiasm despite, you know, massive change. Uh, but I don't know. I sat down with Dave of War. Um, I know that he was playing a lot with Nick Gentili, And I know we got together with Cousins, Um And we, we, you know, we did our best to really kick the tires. I mean, we tried to play that game. And it was tough. Um, because when Age of Sigmar originally dropped, they didn't have points uh, it was just hard to get a fair or even a fun game. You wanted I mean, it's not that you're trying to play cutthroat um, Warhammer, you know, trying to curb stomp your opponent. You're just looking for a, a fair game. You don't want one person or the other to feel like they've just gotten nuked off the table without having a shot. Um, and when point values disappeared and every unit in the game changed and the game itself radically changed, it was just kind of hard to do do um now we did that for weeks at this end before we eventually just gave up and went on to our separate games um but i know the uk was far more proactive with uh, coming up with compacts and different ways to sort of even out the field so people could get a good fun fair game and i know that you were kind of moving between the two when that happened um were you part of that process or did you sort of miss that and come back to just after everything sort of the wheels fell off, so to speak?
1: Um, So I was running uh, an event in Australia pretty soon after I got back. So I remember Mm -hmm. I was over, uh, over, over there and, I was still organising the event and and doing the pre-work and and we were doing a a comp pack for it and a lot of the Dwellers guys had a bit of input in that and we got some sort of respected community members to to give us the input on that. But in the end, like, no one wanted to play the event. Mm. So we we put the effort into into balancing and and doing what we could. But I think we all knew that the rank and flank was a big part of why we played Warhammer. And Mm. so... Even though we we'd come up with a compact that probably would have helped curb the excesses of the you know released a age of Sigma, the um, the game still wasn't really what we wanted to play at the time.
0: Yeah, it was a it was it was a pretty big change. I mean, to look at what came out of the death of Warhammer, um, and in some cases, you know, we didn't necessarily see the end of Warhammer coming. Um, so people were still building grand armies dumping huge amounts of money into the quote-unquote end times. Um, And and I guess in retrospect, it's easy to look back and say, oh, yeah, they're killing Warhammer. Um, But I don't think we actually knew what that meant until it happened. Um, Did you have a better sense of that in the UK?
1: Uh, No, certainly not. I. I remember we all knew something was coming, and you know, for months people were spreading rumours and trying to figure out what the what the information was. And there were some links, and I think I remember someone posting up like a screaming bell with a round base, yeah. and it was photoshopped, but it and, it and it was just a troll. But it ended up, you know, it turns out they were trolling themselves, weren't they? Because that's yeah. exactly what happened. But it, you know, everyone kind of lost their collective minds over that for a little while, and. Yeah, it was. No one knew exactly what was ha- going to happen, and I remember I was I was in Germany at the time, and I I stayed up because the the release was a.m. in in New Zealand, I think, which mm-hmm. meant it was late at night in Germany. And mm-hmm. I remember staying up till one or two in the morning, waiting for the release. The rules went live. I remember reading through the rules and just kind of reading through half the rules and just sitting there, yeah. staring at the my computer screen, thinking, geez – you know what what what's happened where's where's my game gone yeah. you know is this, is this it and um yeah that was a it was a pretty rough night <laughs>
0: yeah um now we've talked about how you are you know you were a big uh, you're a big name in at least in local and probably international as well um warhammer i don't um, know if i'd say that but. well i yeah people know a lot of people know who you are um and for great reason you have a slew of trophies um, of every shape, form, variety uh, from events of all sizes. Um, I still remember the first time we played uh, back when I was a super competitive 40K player and I was trying to jump over to fantasy because the uh, the competitive uh, 40K wasn't wanging my twang, so to speak, anymore, to quote Ted Nugent. Um, but I think I played you and you were 15? 15? Um, It was a long time ago.
1: Yeah, I think I was 14. Yeah. 14 or 15, yeah.
0: And, uh, you know, I I lined up across you A friend of mine, uh, the old Rick Vav, was running an event. um, And he's like, yeah, you know, you should come by. You got paint some painted armies. So I brought my army out. And I kind of knew what I was doing, I thought. And then, yeah, I got absolutely blowed off the table by a 14-year-old. And this, of course, is a million years ago. Like, what? 15 some odd years ago. Um, And yeah, it was like, oh, you had one of the most analytical analytical brains of a a kid that age. As a primary school teacher, I know a lot of you know, preteens slash early teens and uh you know, just the way that you looked at the table and the way you know, I've I've joked around in the past that sometimes when you play these games, you look at the table and it's pretty and there's gorgeous terrain and painted models and it's nice, but as soon as the game starts, it's like, you know, the the numbers start falling in front of your eyes and the sort of the matrix appears and all you're looking at is like, you know, the probability and the game and, you know, who's gonna make the charge and all that and all the prettiness falls away. I'm pretty sure that you never saw the pretty, you never saw the pretty table. You like perpetually lived in the matrix. That's
1: probably why I had no friends in high school,
0: eh? <laughs> oh come on! Um, I can think of at least one Leopold that uh, we can talk about. Anyway, um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but no, let's let's talk about that because you are a very analytical player, and you have been to a lot of the the Masters events. Um, you've been around the block, you know your stuff. Um, and I don't bring this up necessarily to uh, inflate your head, but when we start talking about whether or not Age of Sigmar has legs, whether or not Age of Sigmar is a playable game, uh, I'm sort of, I guess I'm throwing it out to the listeners. I'm throwing them out some information and sort of laying the footwork of who you are. Um, if you say this game works, it works. So I guess before, do we want to get into Age of Sigmar right away, or should we talk about what you did? Because you were talking about how uh, Age of Sigmar stopped being a rank and flank game and started being more forty k like. Um, you did try another rank and flank game after that, didn't you?
1: Yeah. So the, I think the first thing I jumped over to was Kings of War. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it was kind of the the most natural successor game to from from Age of uh, from Fantasy. Yeah. Um, uh, I know that. The ETC group of players over in Europe started developing another game called The Ninth Age, which mm-hmm. was basically a a, a Warhammer port. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, Kings of War for me was was a more natural kind of jump from that because it's you know hosted by a, an actual company. It's not just a fan fan made rule set. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's it was written by Alessio. It's a very it's a streamlined. Um, It's a streamlined rule set. Alessio is wonderful at writing these games like Bolt Action that are really easy to pick up and play and have fun, but um, have a little bit of complexity to them and aren't easy to necessarily, quote unquote, master from day dot. Um, But you did really well at Kings of War uh, right out the bat, didn't you?
1: I actually I lost my first ten or eleven games of Kings of War. Just lost every every single one of them. So, I, I ended up starting well when I played tournaments, but it took me a while to figure it all out.
0: Right on. But then you did, and you uh, definitely took your uh, toll on the local tournament
1: community. Yeah. So we played. Um, we played some small events and I think I won one of those. And then we went up to CanCon and I was kind of fortunate enough to win that, uh, whether or not I quite deserved it. I'm not sure I had some, some good dice on the final day, but yeah, it, was, uh, it went pretty well. Nice. Um,
0: but there was something that was missing, wasn't there? Because I, we talked a lot around that time or a little bit after that. And um, you, you said you enjoyed playing Kings of War, but there was something keeping you from sort of jumping in whole hog. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, it took me a long time to, to figure out what it was because, as you said, the Kings of War is an excellent game. It's mm. it's very very well written. It's very kind of, it's a simple rule set. It's it's easy to learn but difficult to master, which is a very good indication of, of a quality game. Yeah. You know, uh, some of the best games in the world, things like Catan, uh, are, mm-hmm. are very similar. They're, they're they're easy to learn. They've got simple base rule set, um, but they're they're very difficult to play at a at a top top level. Uh, games like Carcassonne and that kind of thing. So Kings of War appealed in that respect because it, it was a lot simpler to learn than the Warhammer fantasy ever was. Mm-hmm. But, it, yeah, there was something missing, and it was kind of, for me, it was that, it's hard to describe, it's sort of the soul that, that Warhammer always had, the character. Mm-hmm. And I think some of that comes from the fluff background that, that Workshop built up over the years and years and years. and And some of it came from the fact that they just, they weren't all about balance. Yeah. You know, Kings of War is a very balanced game. It's a very well-balanced game. It's it's an excellent tournament game. It's it's by five. If, if we're looking purely for a competitive tournament miniatures game, it is a better game than almost everything else out there.
0: I'd agree with that. It is really well done. Um, but uh, as you say, it's it's missing that fluff and flavor. I mean, it's almost as though... Kings of War is... I mean, they a lot of the armies are intentionally built. Ting, Kings of War, uh, whatever version we're currently on, is it 2? Um, it was built to sort of... It'll dropped about the same time that Warhammer Fantasy died. And it was sort of built to scoop up the fantasy players in the community that were looking for a rank and flank game. So a ton of the armies that are written were written solely so that every, in almost every race you could reproduce almost every unit on the table that you had in 8th edition fantasy, you can put on the table in Kings of War really simply. And I think that was really cleverly done in a game that's so well balanced, that's hard to do as you say, it almost felt a little bit like a carbon copy or a photocopy, like a bad photocopy of the original. Sure. It's way streamlined. It's balanced and the game works really well, but it just, it was like, Oh, I've got an elf with an ax. Not, I have white lines of thrace that live in this place and, you know, had all this rich history to it.
1: Yeah. So part of that comes from the, the way they made it, more simplified and, and easier to learn mm. you know the the units became more generic all of the special rules or almost all of the special rules are in the main rule book yeah um there are fewer sort of inherent statistics in a, in each unit and because the special rules are all in the main rule book everything feels a bit samey because you know while while different armies have different acts uh, access to different you know special rules a lot of them are kind of pretty similar across the armies, whereas, you know, Warhammer, you always had, you know, every unit had a special rule in its unit entry. And so it got stupidly complicated at times, but it just, there was a little bit more kind of flavour. But, you know, Kings of War, like you said, they did really well. It was interesting because before 8th edition kind of died off, Kings of War wasn't a, a hugely popular game, I don't believe. No. But a lot of people used Kings of War miniatures to play Warhammer Fantasy. Yeah. Because they offered kind of cheap and cheerful minis uh, that you could make a, a fantasy army with, but fantasy had the had the better rule set.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But then when 8th kind of blew up, they everyone kind of switched. So everyone started using their Games Workshop figures because the figures were better and they mm-hmm. had them all lying around to play Kings of War. And so Kings of War were really smart. They kind of had the first half of the the armies the more generic armies that they had models for the rules were out for them Mm -hmm. and then they very quickly i think it was called uncharted empires it was and that added that it that added some lizard people and some rat people and and, you know effectively all of the um the races that they hadn't already covered that the gw had models for
0: exactly including chaos and all the other armies that i had that you know everything but chaos dwarves of my armies were in that book and so all of a sudden when they dropped that book everything I had became Kings of War playable and just went yep this is perfect so as you say it was a very nice segue into playing Kings of War if you were looking for that game
1: and that's something that Kings of War or Mantic could do because Mantic is, or well, at that time was, a, a much smaller company than Games Workshop. And so they're a lot more agile. They, um, they can react to, to what happens in the market. So presumably they did know kind of what was going to happen mm-hmm. with Age of Sigma. You know, I can only assume there was, there was some, some knowledge there. Because they did respond very, very quickly, but they they put themselves in a position where they could capitalize on the market, and I suspect it's worked out fairly well for them.
0: I would be surprised if uh, Mantic didn't know in advance. I know that the secret was fairly well held um, from the world uh, as far as what was coming with Age of Sigmar when it dropped. But I am be, given that Ronnie Renton is XGW uh, Golden Boy. I cannot imagine that he didn't have friends that gave him the, the wink and the nod at the pub that, you know, what might be coming, um, because they had that ready to go almost from day dot. Um, and I think it was a I think it, it really made uh, Mantic a ton of money at the time, um, given that it isn't an expensive rule set, but they also didn't spend a lot of money producing those books. Um, sure, they had to pay Alessio, but the books are very simple. Uh, the art's very simple. They're very, um, you know, inexpensively created, and so and so they sort of mass produced them and sent them out. And I think, I mean, the number of war gamers I know that have that rule book and um, Uncharted Empires on their, you know, bookshelves, it's astonishing. So that book went out to everyone. They pretty much sold it to. Yeah, it was a. I was shocked how. Prolific that was. Anyway, um, so you did that for a while, and then that sort of waned off. Um, what else did you do in the meantime? Because you tried a few things.
1: Yeah, so I bounced around through a, a few different games. I played a bit of Magic. Uh, I was kind of doing that at the same time as playing mm-hmm. Kings of War. Um, after After Kings of War, and it was, it was weird. Like we were we were whole hog for Kings of War. We were super super keen, and then we all just as a group kind of got to the stage where it wasn't really you know, thrilling us that much and, and we all kind of stopped at the same time and, and and like the rest of the scene sort of went our separate ways a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I played some Magic, I played some X-Wing, I've just played some some 8th edition games with friends. It kind of coincided with a, a drop in the amount of time I was spending playing games as well, mm-hmm. um, just because of, you know, real life and all of that, jazz. So, yeah, I, I dropped Kings of War, kept going with Magic, uh, started up playing X-Wing after probably six to 12 months after after kings of war mm-hmm. and um x-wing's awesome and i was all for that for a little while and, and then i kind of dropped that and i kind of always kept going back to magic mm-hmm. for the a couple of years
0: why is that is that just it's a it's a good game it's a good community um what is it about magic that drew you in because i know there's quite a few of our friends that after uh eighth ed drop all sort of picked up magic from one time or another and it's just one of those games i've never picked up but what's the appeal i guess
1: um So when we, well, yeah, when when Eighth Edition died, the the tournament scene died with it. Basically, we went from these hundred and fifty plus mm-hmm. player events to to everyone kind of splitting into lots of different factions. So rather than one hundred and fifty people meeting on one weekend, there'd be twenty people at a Malifaux event and thirty people at a Kings of War event, and then mm-hmm. you know twenty people at an X Wing event or something like that. Everyone just kind of spread out. So magic kind of offered while well, i initially got into magic just casually magic offered a tournament scene with thousands of players playing events and regularly organized gaming jays and events so yeah the the competitive itch was was definitely scratched by magic
0: nice well i guess that all segues nicely into recently all of us in the old dwellers crew who sort of took a long hard look at the the rumored new age of Sigmar, and uh, I don't know how it started, but I got looped in. Um, how are, how did you sort of, how did that come into being? Because I walked into a store and you were playing um, Sam, and uh, you know Gentilly and Chris were already playing. So looking at it, you know the crew was uh, a couple of weeks ahead of me on that curve.
1: Yeah, i thinking back. I still am not entirely sure exactly what it was i think the um my priorities in in what i wanted out of a game had changed Mm -hmm. so i i was less focused on the competitive aspects but i really missed the hobby and i really missed just gaming with my mates um and so age of sigma definitely offered a lot on the hobby and the narrative side of things because it it does have still have the the kind of the fluff and background of warhammer and it's still got the most you know Games Workshop make the best miniatures on the market, you know, hands down. They're so good, certainly for fantasy anyway. And, you know, it offered that. So, and it meant I could use my old toys, which I have an entire room full. I'm sure you've got the same. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just want to go back to something you said there because I know I talked about you being the kid who saw The Matrix before. You saw the pretty on the table. You were one of the most not competitive in a bad way, not like you're curb-stomping puppies to, you know, win trophies, but you are one of the most analytical wargamers, as I said, but, you know, whenever I played against you, it was like, oh my god, you're thinking three moves ahead of me, um, in fantasy battle anyway, and I'm sure you're like that in other games, but for you to say, you know what, maybe I don't need to play this wicked competitively, uh, I'm looking for more of a narrative game, um, I mean, I went through that journey myself when I was hyper competitive with 40k and was going to a lot of the big events and taking home some some gold. But I mean, you my my trophy rack was nice. Your trophy rack is unbelievable. Um, I think it really does speak volumes of maturity of a war gamer that you just sort of go, yeah, I, I don't think I need to win anything or you know prove this. I'd rather just get together with friends and have some fun. Because that's exactly kind of where I've been at the last couple of years and why, you know, maybe a couple of the shenanigans in some local gaming scenes, um, you know, occasional bolt action stuff or, you know, other games kind of gets up my nose these days. Because I'm like, you don't you don't have to kick someone's face in to have a good time. You can just sit down with some friends and, you know, enjoy the shenanigans when, you know, you're orc happens to run off the table, stabbing someone in the back when, you know, random stuff happens. Um You can enjoy
1: that more. Would you sort of agree with that or? Yeah, definitely. So Warhammer, you know, I've played Warhammer since I was 12 years old or something. Yeah. So, you know, I'm 27 now. So that's, that's 15 years. And, and when I started playing Warhammer, I was a totally different person to who I am now. Obviously mm. I was a lot small, smaller, smaller, yeah. but, um, so it's, it's been in part of my life for so long, but it's, it's changed who I am. When I started playing Warhammer, I was this super, you know, intro, I was very introverted, uh, didn't have a lot of friends, you know, didn't particularly, I don't think have good games with people. Like, cause I was, I was too inwardly focused and, and too competitive. And I've kind of changed as the, you know, the, the further I've gone, the, the longer I've played, I've, I've treated the game differently.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I think, as you say, you get something different and maybe something more out of it now than perhaps you did before, whereas before it was the, I don't know, for me anyway, I, I at the time, even when I was winning, I was like, yeah, surely there's more to this, um, especially towards the end of my 40K run. But, man, I've really, really gotten into a sort of living in the moment, having a good time, and just laughing and enjoying the game for what it is. Not that I guess I didn't do that before, but um, but it, it, taking the anxiety out. I mean, sure, I'm still trying to win. Um, that's the whole point of playing games. But it isn't as all encompassing that desire to you know to to to. Oh, I gotcha. The gotcha moments. Like I don't enjoy them anymore. I, I like to sort of say, you know, I'm gonna do this thing. So you may want to watch out for that. Um, and it's more of the what can I pull and what can I not pull, but what can I get done in this game. Um, in a fun way where my opponent and I both leave laughing, I guess.
1: Yeah, so like I still play competitively when I, when I play the game and I still want to win, uh, particularly if I'm playing in an event. But for me, the, the, the purpose of the event is no longer to win. It is to hang out with friends for a weekend or just one day and, and have a good time. So, you know, the focus has shifted and, you know, I'm a naturally competitive person. And so that kind of you know analytical side does come out when I play. Mm-hmm. But... I, I attempt to be you know i am a lot more engaging than i used to be on the tabletop and at the end of the day if i don't win or don't even sort of deserve to win you know given what's been happening i'm, I'm a lot more kind of chill about that and and yeah. just focused on having having a good time so whereas previously you know if i didn't win you know i wouldn't be the best opponent and you know i'll put my hand up and particularly when I was quite a lot younger, probably the same age when we first played, I was, I was way too into it. Uh, and I would, I would fight tooth and nail for you know, every part of the, the game, even to the point of arguing with opponents about stuff. Nowadays, I'm much more kind of inclined to let stuff go. And if I win, mm-hmm. it's because I play better on the tabletop, but it's not for doing anything kind of dodgy or, or, or relying on you know, my opponents, making you know, forgetting things. I'll, kind of, I'll tell my opponents, hey, you forgot to move that unit. Feel exactly. free to move it.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I feel. Now, you recently played in um, one of the last big um, Age of Sigmar events in Australia, anyway, before the game switched to 2nd edition. So I guess you got in ahead before. I waited sort of till 2nd edition dropped before I tried to learn the rules because I didn't want to try and learn two sets of rules at once. Um, What was it like? I mean, given your years and years and years of experience with fantasy... Um, you came back and you played at the Bajikon event uh, and you, you know, you kind of got a couple of fun games in first and then you sort of went in to learn the game. Um, what was that like?
1: Uh, it was, it was different. It was, it was it kind of reminded me of when I started playing Kings of War again, but um, in this case I had even less sort of idea of what I was doing as back then mm-hmm. uh, you know yeah people that I was playing against had, had knew the rules and and I I didn't know a lot of stuff so you know it was a tough weekend from the from the side of actually trying to play play quick enough and and not you know be forgetting things and you know I hate sort of forgetting my own rules and I don't want to jib someone because I've forgotten my own rules so you know I was kind of trying to make sure I was reminding people of everything and. Yeah, but it was it was enjoyable and and I went to have fun and and just get some games in. Uh you know, like you I was kind of more drawn to AOS 2 than AOS 1, but I just started playing a bit earlier cuz it you know it motivates me to play when I play events and yeah. I just thought let's just dive in and play an event.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you took lizardmen who are now called seraphon. Um now lizardmen are one of those books or seraphon's one of those um, one of those lists I should say. Um so for those of you who don't know how Age of Sigmar sort of changed the Warhammer game, a lot of the old quote-unquote armies, the army books that we knew and loved, um, were broken into pieces. Um, Empire, for example, are broken into like four or five different factions. Uh, dwarves are broken into multiple factions. Dark Elves are broken into at least four factions that I can think of, um, and but I'm no expert on this at the moment. Uh, So, Lizardmen, though, or Seraphon, I guess, are all kind of still together. Did that make your transitioning to Age of Sigmar easier? Because I know that with a lot of my armies, I have a lot of painted miniatures for Fantasy Battle, uh, but I only have like two-thirds of an army ever, because some of the stuff has been either the point values have changed, so the stuff I have isn't a whole army anymore, or... Um, I can't align certain models with other models, uh, and so I just don't have enough to actually field an army. You sort of don't have that problem, do you?
1: No. So, yeah, it definitely helped that the, the Lizardmen were all still kind of one army. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were the last army that I'd painted in 8th edition, uh, so and I had quite a lot of figures. Um, but, yeah, I was able to use basically what I used in 8th edition uh, and it over with you know, relative degrees of success. I'd also I'd played one Age of Sigmar event before I left the UK, uh, and I'd used this amount at that albeit not my own because I, I didn't have my army over there. Mm-hmm. I just borrowed figures, and um, you know, so I sort of knew what was what was what roughly. Yeah, yeah. You know, the the rules were pretty much the same. Obviously, Age of Sigmar had come a long way between. 2014 or 2015 and 2018. Mm -hmm. But uh, I still roughly knew what was what. And yeah, so I just used that.
0: Nice. And one of the things that you say, how the game has come a long way, because when it first came out, it was literally four pages. Um, And then there was, you could go to the game's workshop website and click on a unit in their store and then download a page of rules for each unit. So the game itself had four pages of rules and then each unit had its own sort of set of rules that you could find, and so you built your army out of those things. I guess what what changed it all was the um, introduction of the General's Handbook, um, which included point values. Thank God for everything in the game, um, which have then been, been edited twice since then in successive annual General Handbooks, um, which is great. I, I love that every year we get a different rotating. Um, evolving set of points to sort of balance things, um, or at least try to, uh, and then uh, the game became a lot less, you know, let's push stuff around and kick people's face in, and a little bit more, or I should say, a lot more objective focused. Um, fantasy, kind of, because it was a rank and flank game. getting out there and getting an objective wasn't always easy. Um, Those missions don't always work particularly well um, because of the way the mechanics for movement worked. King's of War did it to a degree, but Age of Sigmar sort of has taken it to that next level with objective grabbing. Um, As someone who's sort of gone through all three, um, do you like that? Um, Do you think that the, the addition of... You know, objective-based missions and point values has really brought Age of Sigmar into its own game? Or do you think it needs something else?
1: Yeah, it, it makes a massive difference. Uh, Warhammer Fantasy could get away with just playing that sort of pitched battle scenario every mm-hmm. time because the game rewarded use of the entire table. It rewarded getting into the flanks getting into the rear Mm -hmm. a lot more so than than skirmish game like age of sigma yeah because you know in age of sigma there's there's while there are benefits to to getting concaves and good angles of of approach on things everything is is a bit more kind of not yeah three-dimensional in the way it moves you know everything can move forward or back at the same speed whereas in fantasy there was definitely forwards and the sideways and and backwards were, were more difficult so you know, it prioritized faster units going around the flanks and stuff like that. So, mm. in in fantasy, you were you were rewarded for for good play using the entire tabletop for the most part. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Age of Sigma, particularly initially, if you weren't using any scenarios, there was there was not a great deal of kind of intricacy in the movement. It was a lot of you know, and they got a bit of criticism for the game just being just a, a big mush into the middle of the table. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but by spreading objectives around that is far less likely to happen now.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and particularly in this new general's handbook that's recently been released, there's some really cool scenarios with with moving objectives, some objectives that can only be taken by heroes or you know, wizards, and then some objectives that are reward large monsters and some that reward larger units.
0: Which in in and it of itself it almost causes um, it causes players to self-comp when they're army building, doesn't it? Because one of the things that we saw in eighth edition fantasy and previous editions before that was the necessity for comp sometimes where you would um because it was just as you said one mission or a variation of that one mission which was killing as many of your opponents models as possible um people really just fine tuned their lists and typically because point values didn't largely change either um People knew what things did. People knew what the efficiencies were, and they fine-tuned, 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 fine-tuned. And so um, it was sometimes hard as a casual player to step into some of those events. Um, I knew that sometimes I would be, you know, I, I would joke that I would like to lose my first couple of games so I could have fun pe- playing people my speed um, on the kids' tables in the back of the, you know, in the back of the venue because. Uh, you know, I just wasn't at the cutting edge of army building and efficiencies. Um, by by encouraging you to take different unit types for the missions, Age of Sigmar really does sort of reward a generalist list, doesn't it? That That's far less the case.
1: Yeah, I think there's still an element to... Just taking the best thing possible, mm-hmm. and, and there there are a lot of units that probably don't get used. Mm-hmm. But um, I, you know, it's a, it's a tough one to answer, given that I haven't played a, a great deal of Age of Sigmar at this stage. Mm. But yeah, in fantasy, fantasy had a lot of comp, basically a lot of fan-made or, or you know end-user restrictions put on the the lists that the Games Workshop made and the armies that Games Workshop made so that the, the game would be more balanced. And, and there is less of that in, well, in fact, there's basically none of it in Age of Sigmar, which I think is an improvement because it just makes it easier to kind of rock up and, and play with a list. But there is definitely an element of kind of, if you don't take good enough stuff, you, you will struggle in games. And Age of Sigmar has you know the, some really crazy big characters that, that fantasy... Hasn't had since sort of fifth-ed fantasy where which you know always got called character hammer. Yeah, and and Age of Sigmar does have that, and so that is you know somewhat balanced out by the fact that most of the scenarios are worked off on the the number of models you have close to the the objective.
0: Nice. Well, I do like how I mean when you have like the living god or ungod um, Nagash, you know the the giant lich on the table. Yeah, that's uh that's kind of kind of be a lot of points (laughs) but um you could see him sort of continually summoning up a bunch of skeletons um and so for him it won't be necessarily he taking that objective as you say unless it's the the character objective um but you could see him trying to raise
1: uh, a swarm of minions to try and grab things right yeah, exactly. And so we, they've got some next, le- truly next level models in Age oh, of God, yeah. The 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 Archaon figure is amazing. The Nagash figure, which was around for eight, the the end of Eighth Edition, mm. is is amazing. These figures are ridiculous. And and every new release comes with a new you kind know, of premium, massive figure. The new the new Merathi yes. uh, that turns turns into a big snake lady. You know these figures are amazing, but the rules are next level for them as well. So you know yeah. maybe they're a little bit pushed. They want us to buy the new models. Who knows.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I was looking at the... As a Nurgle Demon player, I was looking at the Great Unclean one and at my old one, which was, you know, maybe the size of my fist if I was, you know... It literally was the size of my fist. Whereas the new one is about the size of my head. And it's it's ridiculous. And you look at that on the table and think, Jesus, that's big. Uh, but as you say, the rules reflect that. Um, what's kind of funny, though, is... Um, they're they both the same model now. Um, and so some of the old models that are kind of small don't necessarily reflect the big crazy rules, but I suppose you could put them on the new bases because Age of Sigmar recommends certain base sizes for different units. And uh, if you put the old fist size Great Unclean one in the middle of its giant new base, um, I suppose you could have some fun uh, making, uh, I don't know, a little scene on it, uh, so to speak. But yeah.
1: Uh, huh. but there therein lies the difficulties for for some of the guys I know who are, are kind of porting their eighth edition stuff across to to Age of Sigma yeah. and why the why the lizard been were really attractive for me because the the models for the lizards haven't changed. Uh, so I could use all my stuff and it didn't look totally out of place within its own army. Whereas yeah, if you're using an old uh, blood, bloodthirster, or yeah, probably yeah. A, to to a, a greater extent the the new, the old great unclean one. You know, the new one is basically the size of the forge world great unclean one. It is,
0: which is so rid- you, rid- ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it's it's just crazy, and these new models that workshop are releasing are basically the size of the forge world stuff that used to be so special and and so big that you couldn't get anywhere else. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I pulled out my uh, Orc Rogue Idol model, and it's truly ridiculously large. I had to order a, a night base from Games Workshop to even put it on. Um, but if you look at that, it is now sort of an analog size-wise to the new Greater Demon models. Now, we've seen, of course, the Great Unclean one, the Bloodthirster, and um, the Lord of Change, but we haven't seen the new Slaanesh one. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with Slaanesh. Um, I think we may be if the fluff has anything to go by, we may get some uh <clears throat> some leather bound big daddy stuff coming your way but um we 'll see uh but yeah, just back on topic it's it's interesting i i'm really I've played a little, only a little bit of Age of Sigmar at this point, point. and to be honest, I, I got nuked off the table. Um, but I'm sort of, I'm getting my head around the rules now, and I'm getting like the way it all seems to work together is making a lot more sense to me. But um, the one of the things that I'm really, I guess, in, on one hand, impressed by, and on the other hand, a little intimidated by, uh, as a, I'm coming in as sort of a noob again, is how much synergy. Like I like I, I talk in my Bolt Action podcast about how I like to build synergy within lists. It's not necessarily that you're taking something that is the most efficient. I like to take things that so you know that you have a plan and you build around that plan and you have a list that helps support that. And so you can take inefficient units if they help you to achieve your goal. Um, and that's why I I'm always preaching that you don't always have to go with the efficiency. Go with what your plan needs. Um, with Age of Sigmar everything buffs everything else, or certain things buff certain other things. And so when I played my game, um, my list did not synergize. Um, I had a lot of special rules that overlapped, but didn't benefit me more than if they didn't overlap. So I was at a disadvantage when I played against someone whose army did, if that makes sense. Um, A bunch of my stuff was repetitive and didn't give me additional bonuses, whereas his stuff did stack, and he was able to just smash my Chaos Warriors off the table um, because he was just plowing through their armor because he had all these bonuses. Um, And this, of course, I'm talking about Ryan and his beautiful Minotaur army. Um, And it was great, uh, and I love that the game has that, but as I'm looking at every unit in the game trying to figure out what works with what, that's a little intimidating. Have you, have you sort of had that experience as well?
1: Yeah. So I still don't know what a lot of things in age of Sigma do. Um, there's combos that I have heard people talk about and I'm just like, I don't know how that works. I have a rough idea of what the end result of the combo is, yeah. but I don't really know what its constituent parts are now, writing, writing an age of Sigma list reminds me a lot more of writing, a uh, you know, building a magic deck than it does actually writing a, an eighth edition list. Why is that? So, um, you know, when you build a deck, you're building it with a specific you know game plan and kind of combo in mind. Here's the cards I want to draw, here's yeah. the order I want to play them in, uh, and here's what I want to do, much more so than you know an eighth edition list used to be where it was generally, you just you'd put your your army on the table and you could adapt to different things and And while you would have a, a sort of generic plan, it was a lot less kind of specific in what what you would do. So, in Age of Sigmar, I think particularly the new edition with the the command points mm-hmm. and and being able to stack command abilities, you're going to have some more kind of combo style lists where every game they're going to try and do the same thing, and they're a bit more linear. It's just whether their thing works or whether the opponent can can stop them from doing that thing.
0: Yeah, and especially and sorry, especially since in the new rules, are sort of added even more to that, um, with another level of things that you can add to your army in that you pick what realm the armies are playing in and what realm the armies are playing from. So you're not only getting your sort of unit special rules, you're getting your army special rules, you're possibly a battalion special rule or two on top of that. And then on top of that, you get the realm rules and, you know, the other realm rules. So there's just a lot of possible combinations.
1: Yeah. So, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Obviously, Age of Sigmar is quite new um, and and sort of our group of gamers is pretty new to Age of Sigmar generally, let mm. alone Edition 2.0. So it'll be interesting to see where that plays out. And there's been, you know, a couple of events over uh, in the UK and there's been some pretty big fallout from those with some, some pretty combo sort of centric lists. But it's going to take a while to solve the format. So... You know what the the end result of kind of general's handbook twenty eighteen combined with age of Sigma two what the the meta is going to be, so to speak, you know who knows yeah,
0: well, if it's one thing the games workshop has proven, uh, especially with the newest version of Warhammer forty thousand is that they are watching the big events. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next week or two we saw you know a rather significant set of FAQs that actually directly impact some of the, you know, the Lord croak build or, you know, the grots doing a million points of damage. Um, little grot heroes, um, you know, smashing people off the table, doing like 60 damage. Um, you know, the things the the really sort of weird loopholes that allow people to do some pretty crazy stuff. Um, they plugged those gaps really fast in Warhammer 40,000. I would assume that they would do that for fantasy. Um, but I guess we'll see.
1: Yeah, my, my understanding is that uh, there will be an FAQ dropped fairly soon-ish, with, which will address some of those things.
0: Now, they did say it was coming, too. They, they said, from day dot, we will have a new FAQ coming in the next couple of weeks. And I think they set a date to it. They did the same thing with uh, 8th Edition 40K, but then they sort of... They pulled back on that date and said, "Look, we said we we're going to give it to you in a couple of weeks," and then I think it came like four weeks late after that. But um, when it came, it was extensive and thorough, and you know people were glad it was there. And then weirdly, there was a bunch of FAQs that came out after that. Um, so they just sort of they kept going and going and going. Um, I would sort of prefer that we got something. Semi regular um, that you know allows the game to stretch a little bit for people to sort of find those combinations, take advantage of them for a little bit, and then have them disappear, and so that we don't feel like you know we're locked into this. Oh God, I have to face this one loophole army four times in an event because everyone's playing it for the next six months. Whereas maybe if things came out quarterly, that would be great. But it also doesn't feel like you're constantly chasing an FAQ document that comes out every two weeks.
1: Yeah, I think Games Workshop have to be really careful with how often they change, you know, what's good and what's not good in the game because mm. not everyone has the kind of collections that we've got and, and even our collections are now smaller than they were because a lot of our stuff is not kind of relevant in Age of Sigma. Yep. And it's something we talked about on the, the most recent Dwellers episode is the the social contract that, that gamers have with Games Workshop and and what they expect to get out of the things they purchase. So i know back when you know for the you know probably for a good 10 years while i was playing i kind of expected to always be able to use my figures and i think people don't expect that what they purchase from games workshop will be kind of invalidated anytime soon so whereas with something like magic uh you know the the meta in magic and the the format changes every uh sort of quarter i think it is uh depending on which format of magic you play obviously but you know, the, the the format changes, which means the cards that you use a change, and what's good changes, which means you need to update what you've got. Now, if we had to update our armies every quarter, I probably wouldn't play Age of Sigmar because it costs a lot.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I'm just thinking about how much, because I, I bought a few units to supplement what I already had, my existing armies, and just... I am astonished at how expensive Games Workshop models are. Now, they, they've they really done an excellent job of mitigating that with their new Start Collecting boxes, um, which if you take all the models in them and put them together and then you add them up, you get a ridiculous discount, which is something that Games Workshop never did previously. But it's still a lot of money. Um, and as you say, to have... if. You know, a lot of those models become invalid pretty quickly um, or you need to constantly switch. That's going to really burn a lot of people because Games Workshop, as they said, they've always been the Rolls-Royce of miniatures, but it it costs the Rolls-Royce. It's You get the quality, but you're paying for it. Um, and if you constantly have to buy new stuff, that's just going to suck
1: yeah and if you think of the the person who's only got one army and they've they've kind of a newish player they've built this army they've started painting it you know they're really happy with it they go to some tournaments they have a great time and then just suddenly you know if their army gets changed or the the rules get changed Mm -hmm. and their and their army gets kind of invalidated as a as an army you know they're potentially given budgets and stuff might not ever come back so Workshop have to be really careful with how often they update the format, uh, but I suspect they kind of know which line they can tread, given that they've had so many years to perfect their release schedules and how often they turn over new armies.
0: Yeah, and and they generally are playtesting things better than ever, uh, especially for Age of Sigmar. They really seem to have thought about how things work. Now, clearly, there's been a few things that they've missed, Um, but from what I've read, that may have come down to some deadline pushing at the last minute. Um, but it is a game that was really thought through. And I got to say, after this sort of, when Age of Sigmar dropped, we got, of course, the four pages, which I keep talking about, but we got, you know, we got a fair bit of fluff describing what this universe is. And Games Workshop really went out of their way to create this gaming universe where it's, you know, all these realms and your little blobs of reality floating around in them. And, you know, there are cities within these places, but it was really free and open. And it was this great, they sort of opened the universe to their players and said, you can do anything you want. And here's just a few guidelines. But then players were like, I don't know what fits in this universe anymore. Um, is this work anymore? Does it not? From a fluff standpoint. And so it's really nice with Age of Sigmar version 2. Um, I've been reading the, the first 200 pages of the rule book um, the last couple of days, which is all fluff. It's all pictures of and diagrams of what realms might look like and where how they're sort of work in relation to one another. Um, and it just tells you about who's living in each place. Um, and I just actually get a feel for the place now. Whereas before it just sort of felt, I don't want to say half-assed, but it, it didn't feel fleshed out. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, but I mean it it's it takes a lot to. Get back to the level of background that uh, that Warhammer had, agreed, and, and Games Workshop had. And if you think the the 40k narrative has been building for so long, and the fantasy narrative had been building for so long, and and they did just kind of nuke nuke the planet, you know, the yeah. whole world, the whole world was was gone. So, you know, it was always going to take them a little bit of time, um, but because they they were always releasing, you know, Black Library books, the new rule books with the fluff in them, every. Every, uh, like, Battle Mm Tome had had extra fluff for each army in it. So, yeah, I think it was always going to take some time to build up that level of depth, but I think we're getting there.
0: And it's also interesting, um, like Conflict 47, uh, Age of Sigmar has been doing something that's really interesting that traditionally Games Workshop never did before. Games Workshop's always been sort of, we've created this universe. It's five minutes to midnight, especially in Warhammer 40,000. It's always sort of like, right before the end of the world. Um, and what Age of Sigmar is doing now uh, is actually the narrative is advancing. It's it's ticking forward. Things happen that have consequences. Um, with the new box set, I think we've jumped forward 100 years, and all of a sudden, you know, different factions have conquered different places. Some of the main characters that we've known have died. Some new ones have sort of come in. So it's it's... It's an idea that w- the games that you have might have consequence, um maybe some of these campaigns that they they hold that people play in um it's just it's a really interesting game and environment to sort of rejoin after our hiatus to see where it is now. Would you agree
1: yeah they really they really kick that off with the end times when they effectively started cycling out fantasy 8th edition. Yeah. So you know, we had that same very static storyline for a long time in Warhammer, like a long long time it was yeah. always the same point in time. And then suddenly they did the end times and in inside of 12 months they published four major kind of releases with a lot of fluff in them mm-hmm. and, and heaps and heaps of stuff changed and all these characters did things and got killed or moved around and alliances changed and suddenly Tyrion who'd been the the kind of the high, the high king, the elves, the high prince of the, the high elves for so long was was suddenly a dark elf and Malekith who was the leader of the dark elves was suddenly a high elf and everything got kind of flipped up and shook around and it was just amazing everyone was so excited about the end times because Mm. you know the fluff just kicked into absolute overdrive and i think it's really cool that while it's not going at the same pace there's still kind of forward sort of fluff movement
0: agreed yeah and and it ties in with um how the games are played on the tabletop as well so it's 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 immersive it's nice it's it really does give us that feel of um you know, being part of that universe, which you know, sometimes in Warhammer Fantasy, I didn't always feel. Um, but from what I've been reading and watching games um, and just catching on, I'm, I really like that about this game. Um, that this is, I don't know, I, I, I guess that's sort of a half-finished idea. But I, it's one thing that I really like about the game, and I look forward to exploring more the more I play it. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it was one of the things that attracted me to Age of Sigmar is that it still has that Warhammer feel, and I think I think Eighth Edition and Seventh Edition and, and sort of previous you know Warhammer fantasy still had that level of immersiveness, and mm. you could play massive, massive games. You know, we used to annually in our group of friends do a, a massive you know twenty or thirty thousand point game yeah. using using multiple tables, multiple t- people's armies, and we'd do big battle reports, and you know, so the the immersiveness was definitely there in Eighth Edition, but you know linking and we w- we would generally do a a battle out of the the warhammer fluff and kind of reenact it so to speak and and that's something that you can still kind of do in age of sigma although not as much because there's there's less of an attachment to the fluff than mm-hmm. there used to be because while while it's cool that it's new fluff and that things are changing you know the big battles in in warhammer fantasy had been the, the big legendary battles for mm-hmm. forever basically you know Carrick eight peaks and the and the, you know, the demon invasion at the start of the fluff were, were these, you know, big traditional, you know, historic battles that everyone co- who played Warhammer kind of knew about.
0: Exactly. They were the so, big, uh, they were the big lines on the timeline, so to speak, that, you know, everything else sort of ticked in in between them that, but they were sort of, they sort of defined the ages in which they took place. And then everything else sort of was, um, was sort of, when they were described, they were described in relation to these larger events. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Well, Nick, you have been learning the game with Lizardmen, and I have been struggling. Um, so I, I'm i just going to quickly talk about what I've been up to. because I've had a few people message the page and ask, why do you keep showing models from different armies? Well, so I... Th- Got into this thinking, yeah, this is going to be great. Um, I'll start with an army that I have a lot of stuff for, and uh, I've always kind of wanted to finish, which is my Corn Demons, fantastic. I've spent a lot of time on the stuff that I've had. Um, I then took a good look at how armies work in Age of Sigmar and realized what I had wasn't a full army, um, and the stuff that I did have, I'd been playing with a long time and was. Really badly chipped, and probably wasn't great to start with. My memory of the models was not as good. Um, I guess rose colored glasses. So I moved around a little bit. Um, I was really into the idea of doing a Nurgle demon army, and I think that's what I'll do long term. But I need something to get on the table in the meantime, um, and so I was I was romancing the idea of my old orcs and goblins because I can put that on the table including the Rogue Idol, which I talked about earlier, which is like a giant rock monster. Um, it's a Forge World model. It's one of the biggest, silliest things I own, and it's never been put together. Um, and, I, and I hear a few people in the background going, ha, 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 ha Brad and his you know, silly army, a pile of miniatures that no one's ever built. Um, but I really want to put that guy on the table sometime. The more I looked at how Age of Sigmar works, um, I thought I would stick with an army that has a book um, that is more recent, um, that's a little more fleshed out rules-wise, um, not because I'm looking for something to be you know, a great power choice, um, because I'm trying to sort of get my head around all phases of the game and where things are at now, not where they were when Age of Sigmar sort of first came in, if that makes sense. Um, so I took my old witch elf, sorry, my Dark Eldar witches, um, now they're not the current models, they're the older ones that look like, um, gladiators, um, whereas if you look at them closely, and I've, you know, we used to joke about it at the time, um, that I would, you know, that they almost look fantasy, like fantasy models, um, And on the last Dwellers I was on before the, you know, before 8th Edition died, I talked about how I was going to turn that army into a witch elf army by cutting the pistols off. um, And I collected all the bits I needed to do it. um, And then the game died. And so I never actually followed through on that. but that, I think, is where I've been at for the last week or two. I've been taking a pile of models that I already owned, and I added some new models to it, and then kitbashed the old, model, old models and new models together to make a bunch of the new units, uh, because some of those things I am just not paying for. Um, the official models are ridiculous. Um, so I'm really happy with where my army is at. Um, I just need to... I have just about everything built, I need to now um, finish the basing, prime and then get painting because uh, I'm not sure if you are going to be available. I know you may have had a work thing on that weekend, but I am playing in the green dragon GT, which sorry <laughs> God, I did it again uh, the Blue Dragon GT at good games. Um, <laughs> God, I knew it um, at uh, at good games a couple of blocks away from my house in August. I am very excited. I am um, just now a little nervous at looking at how much I probably have to paint between now and then. Um, but uh, if all goes horribly wrong, I do have my old Warriors of Chaos army that all I have to do is rebase. So if I get to like the weekend before and it looks unlikely that I'll finish, all I have to do is literally do basing for a new army, which I can easily do in weekend, and I'll take my chaos. So I have a backup plan but I want to get the the daughters of Cain, I guess, the Witch Elf army on the table, so I can get some games in, get my head around the game, and then um, you know we'll see where we end up. I also have some designs to do some more, um, some Star Wars Legion stuff, and some Gaslands, and of course Bolt Action because um, Stop the Huff is coming up in. August as well. So, you know, a lot going on, but it's just a really exciting time hobby-wise. And one thing that I've really loved is, um, and one thing Nick and I talked about off-air, is how much I've enjoyed being creative. Um, because with Bolt Action, I, I have gotten, you know, creative with some of my lists. I've gotten creative with some of my models. I've kitbashed some stuff. I've done a little tiny bit of sculpting on miniatures here and there and adding vehicle parts and, you know, having 3D printed stuff added. But... Yeah, At the end of the day, it's still World War II. I, you know, took bits from five different kits, bashed them together, and then sculpted snake lady bottoms for, you know, 10 models the other day and put them all together. And it took a really long time to do, but at the end, I look at it and think, this is a model that no one else will have. No one else will have one that looks exactly like mine. And when I paint it, it's going to get even more individualistic. And it's just kind of fun, um, I know that I'm sort of rambling Nick um, you've seen me sort of go through this process um, how do you think the army's coming out do you think uh, it, it's gonna look ridiculous or it's gonna pull on the day
1: I think it's gonna look really cool and it might look a little bit ridiculous, but that's something that Age of Sigma really offers over diff- other games and, and yeah. particularly offers over what 8th edition had. And, and I think that's the, one of the core reasons why Games Workshop reset the world. They made it this more kind of magical fantasy, mm-hmm. you know, crazy world than it used to be, where it was a bit more of a medieval-based fantasy world. And Agreed. so you know, they they can do things like the Fishman, which they'd always had been this running joke that they were yeah. they were gonna do a fishman army for I don't know, you know, how long, probably since back when you worked at, at workshop, but before
0: that. But yeah, that was the joke it, like when I first started going to fan you know, grand tournaments, and that was before I went to work for a workshop was Fishman. Um it was yeah, and we, we now sorry, go ahead, I don't wanna steal your thunder.
1: Yeah, that, I mean, that was probably before I was born. So the Fishman yeah. thing has been around for, for so long. And then they've created a world where they can do it and the models look really cool. You know, is it a bit of a stretch that they, they swim in the Aether Sea and they bring that with them to a battlefield? Yeah, sure. But yeah. who cares? It's magic. Exactly.
0: Like dudes riding sharks, flying. It's like, it's literally Sharknado on the battlefield. It's great. It's,
1: it's amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. And but so yeah, so your, yeah. your stuff's looking really cool. Uh, it seems like you've settled on a project, which is really good. Yeah. Uh, certainly, over the last kind of weekend or the last week, you've you've gotten a fair bit done, which is really really good to see. Yeah. Um, a bit more focused. So yeah, yeah, hopefully we we see them on the table at the at the. The bluish-green dragon, GT.
0: <laughs> the rainbow dragon, if I can get that. It was like the purple dragon. No, the brown dragon. No, the, uh, the red dragon. No, uh, yeah, I just, I just cannot get the name of that event right. I'm sorry, Brian. It looks awesome. I can't wait to play. I just, I get the name wrong every podcast. Ugh. Um, but yeah, man, that is going to be a rad event. And I know a ton of people are painting armies for it. So yeah, I'm just excited to see the old community and, uh, you know, doing what they do. Causing some mischief and malarkey and having a good time. It's just going to be a good time. Now, I'm, okay, I know I'm doing my, my you know, naughty witch ladies and then um, slash dudes and then hopefully getting into some disease and nurgle stuff. But, uh, and you're doing the lizards for now, but you're working on your next project already. Do you want to talk about that? Is that something you're comfortable getting into?
1: Yeah, I can get into that. Um, so I am doing the night haunt minis, which are kind of come out with the new age of sigma rules uh mm-hmm. for those that don't know about them they're, they're basically ghosts, and so they're a step away from the classic skeletons and zombies undead and they're these are ghosts and they're you know they're floating above ground and they all fly and the models are just the models are really cool they're they're a type of painting that I haven't really done before mm-hmm. i'm I'm still trying to figure out exactly what colour to paint them but uh yeah, so for now. It's I'll, I'll probably finish a few lizardmen units just to round out my list to make it a bit more it's kind of Age of Sigma focused mm-hmm. rather than just a ported Eighth Edition army. But uh, that's still all going to be on on square bases. So the the Night haunt, which is going to be a more long term project, will be you know a full Age of Sigma specific army. And I'm definitely not going to have them done for for the Blue Dragon GT. I'm kind of setting my sights for, for kank on next year. Nice.
0: Now um, I've been looking at these models and the games Workshop's really outdone themselves um, with the night Hunt models in particular. I mean, they had, you know, spirit hosts and whatnot before, and they had these models that were sort of swirling in or in and out of one another. Um, and they kind of went together that way, but these are push fit models some of them anyway, but just how they attach themselves to the base is ingenious. So they don't have flight stands, but they still have the feeling that they're sort of floating above the tabletop while actually touching the ground in a very tangible way. And they do it with every model, and it's really nicely done. Um, Are you at all nervous about how... You know whether or not they'll be durable because I'm am looking at some of my um you know some of my snake ladies going oh my god they're gonna break the first time I put a paintbrush on that um but looking at your night haunts they look strangely durable do they feel that way do you think
1: uh, I think it depends on the figures okay so some of them the some of the smaller figures will be okay because they're just they're not as kind of crucially connected at single points but yeah some of the figures are definitely i'm a little bit worried that there's going to be some breakage but at the end of the day they they do look very cool and it's amazing how the the technology and advances in in technology for plastic casting and and probably 3d modeling as well i don't know if these are sculpted figures or if they're 3d modeled you know i'm not exactly sure how they do them but Mm -hmm. there's a clear leap in technology compared to the stuff that they used to do
0: Yeah, and it looks so good. And then adding to that, of course, we get... um, So with Age of Sigmar coming out, we got the rulebook, which was great. Um, And it actually has rules in it. Um, It also has a whole lot of the missions that were in the old General's Handbook that we talked about before, uh, and a whole bunch of other elements that had been in the General's Handbook. But what you also get then um, is a new General's Handbook. Well, if... What's in the general's handbook then besides point values? Well, they gave a whole lot of special rules to the armies that ha- sort of had books previously, but didn't have the full spread of rules that some of the newer books got, sort of second edition them. Um, but they also included a bucket of new missions. So I forget exactly how many missions there are, but they went from having like six to, is it 18, 24, something like that?
1: Yeah, I think there's 18 missions now. Yeah, that's and crazy. I, I, cu- I could be wrong, but I was playing a game out of the General's Handbook the other week and we couldn't find some of the missions. So I think like 12 of the missions are in the General's Handbook Yeah. and then six of the missions are in the main rulebook, that is which correct. is a bit of a pain. Like, come on, just put put three more pages in the General's yeah. Handbook and have all 18 missions in there. Like, really?
0: Yeah, that's one thing. So I have a bolt action traveling A3 small rule book like I used to have for Warhammer Fantasy. Um, And, you know, for some other games, you get those little thin rules. And for, you know, Star Wars Legion, it's a photo, it's a, you know, 40 page photocopy and things like that. So I'm used to thinner rule books. Now I get this thing out, this, this rule book, the basic rules Hundreds of pages, hardback, it weighs as much as, you know, my shoulder bag normally does fully loaded by itself. I literally put it in my shoulder bag the other day to play a game, and I was I was astonished at how heavy it was. And I checked. I was like, is my laptop in there? No. The stupid rule book's in there. Um, but then, of course, you get the General's Handbook, but there's a third book. And that was one thing that people were a little critical of right off the bat. It was, well, why are we getting three? Why can't we have one? Well, I like that we have the General's Handbook and that it evolves and it changes. So I am i don't have a problem with that. The thing, the third book that people are talking about, of course, is Malign Sorcery. Now, that gives us a lot of magic rules. I mean, clearly a lot of the magic rules are in the basic rules and in the General's Handbook. But what we get is, a new type of spell um, now Nick do you want to talk about this because you probably I don't know if you've played with them yet but you probably know more about them than I do
1: yeah I'm not sure if that's true I haven't I certainly haven't played with them I also don't own the malign sorcery book but basically it's it's the old remains in play spells that you used to have a template for mm-hmm. they've released models for them and the models are massive the models are sweet and there's like is there 12 different. Yeah, endless spells basically, or remains in play spells that you now place on the battlefield, and players can control the spell as it kind of roams around the battlefield. Basically, for most of them, eating people.
0: Yeah, it's so good, and of course, you know, there's giant chomping jaws. There's a giant flaming skull. um, There's mirrors that people can bounce in and out of. There's the of course the one that everyone talks about, which is like the giant purple porcupine head, um, the purple sun, and you just look at this and you go, that is fantastic. And so these are models that you can buy. They have a point value in the general's handbook, um, and so you can buy it, and then a wizard on the table can deploy it. And I think they're really clever. One of the one of my big gripes with um, with how Age of Sigmar was, or Games Workshop games were in general, was the the whole you-go, I-go thing. But then Age of Sigmar took that to the next level by having you-go, you-go, I-go. Like, there's the opportunity of a double turn. So players can get really wrong-footed if their opponent gets two turns in a row and they're in a bad position. Um, so that, on one hand, it does force you to take that into consideration. and that That does add sort of tactical... Um, you need to be tactically aware of that when you're playing, and that does add a nice element to the game. Um, I, I wasn't a huge fan of that, but I like how in 2nd Edition they said that if you roll and it's drawn, it indicates which player it bounces to, which makes it slightly less possible for the double turn to occur. Um, that and with these Remains in Place spells, if, if how I understand them right is if they're on the table... Um, the player that doesn't get the double, um, or so one person goes first, the other person gets to move the spell, so they can mitigate the double turn, and it also makes the double turn even less attractive to do. If that makes sense, am I explaining that right, Nick?
1: Yeah, pretty pretty much. So okay. the the player that goes for, uh, that went goes second in the battle round. Yeah gets to move the first spell and the, and the spells alternate in movement. So if there's two spells, you get to pick one and move it and the other person will move the other one. If there's three spells, you'll get to pick one move it. The other person will move one and then you'll pick the last one and move it. So, yeah, yeah it, it kind of mitigates having the second turn in the in the, in the game.
0: And Age of Sigmar is a game where movement matters a lot because there's a, I mean, most of the missions, if not almost all of them, are objective grabbers. So, like getting on an objective and holding it because you score objective points in most of the missions over the course of the game. It isn't that you jump on it and you hold it till the end of the game, or it isn't that you're, you know, kicking each other's face in and then grabbing it, grabbing objectives on the last possible second um, and turn six. Well, first of all, this game only has five turns. And the second thing is, um, you need to be getting those points throughout the game. Um, again, it depends on the mission. But by doing that, you can get totally wiped off the table by your opponent, but you can still win because you focused on the objective and they may have just focused on beating you. So I think that and by having these spells and being able to move them maybe in front of something, a unit that may want to charge you and you have to charge through a purple sun or something, all of a sudden that makes it harder for the player that is considering the double turn thinking you know what i'm not even gonna bother with that i'm just gonna go and then does that make sense so i I think it adds a nice new element to the game that it with the missions makes um you have to put a lot of thought into it at least that's from my limited experience you've played with the missions um you are accumulating the points throughout more than i have it seems that movement's very important
1: it's, yeah, the, the, the missions, uh, they're all different, and some of them kind of reward early game movement, some reward late game movement, some reward movement less than others. So you've got to be flexible and, and kind of play to the mission, mm. and I think the, the endless spells will help with that. Now, from memory, I, again, I don't have the book, but mm. I think the endless spells always count as a friendly model, which means you can't actually move through them at all, and, and some of these figures are very large on yeah. big bases which means you can kind of use them to zone out areas of the board if you're going second in that, in that phase. If you, if you don't want your opponent to move in a direction between a couple of terrain pieces, you can potentially move an endless spell in the middle there and they just can't move through it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that again, more tactical play, um, which for a game that started a glorified double-sided napkin um, is nice to see. That, they've, that all of that has been added. Is it just me, or does this game sort of feel like to you, at least to me it feels like, this is the game we should have gotten when Fantasy died. Uh, and not necessarily the fluff, although I think that that probably should have come then as well. I mean, they did have to develop it over time. But just all of the rules and the way that things interact, this is kind of the game that I would have wanted when Eighth died. If that makes sense. Like I, I, towards the end of eighth, I I was getting thrown under the bus whenever I played competitively and often in friendly games because I wasn't playing enough to keep up. And the guys who I would play were you guys who were very competitive. Um, I kind of feel like with this, they've really given us the full game. Um, Whereas I think you were playing far more and at a more competitive level, do you feel like this game gives you what you wanted? Given that you did
1: say what you wanted has changed, um, are you happy with this? Age of Sigma One gave me what I kind of now want uh, in a game that more cinematic experience, the the models, the the kind of immersion, that kind of stuff. AOS two gives me more of what I pref- want from a, an actual rule set for a a more competitive game so it it kind of more closely aligns age of sigma with what i you know personally value Mm -hmm. um that's not to say age of sigma one wasn't doing that and well towards the end um and that's more because of a shift of of what i want out of games Mm. but yeah it definitely is is relatively closely aligned with what i want and more so than any other game being offered on the market
0: yeah exactly yeah, I'm I'm really happy with where the game is and where it seems to be going. Um, and oh man, Games Workshop is doing a really good job. I did an episode about this a couple weeks ago, um, and it just look they're do they're kicking some goals, and I'm I'm happy to see them doing that again and seeing them succeed and make profit and do well again. Not because I necessarily want the stockholders of Games Workshop to do well. No, um, I worked for Games Workshop for a really long time, and I, I really did kind of align my life to the well-being of that company for, for years. And to see the turnaround, and to see them listening to their fans, and to see, um, you know, just as you say, fishmen—something that you know we joked about for years—and all of a sudden, it's back. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, we're getting, they've just announced pre-orders for Kill Team, which is, you know, sort of a follow-on from Shadow War Armageddon that I played with Dave of War and a few other folks. And I really enjoyed, it was a lot of fun, but it, it kind of felt like it, you didn't have the full game. And then they came out with Necromunda, and that was great. But again, you didn't feel like you got the full game. Kill Team, from what they're advertising, I haven't read the rules, I haven't played it yet. I'm definitely not going to buy that box set after buying into Age of Sigmar, but that looks good. Um, And it looks like my kind of game. I already have at least six kill teams in a case. I don't have to paint a single model. I can just play. And it's on a 22 by 36 inch board. So you can play it on a coffee table. And it just seems like they're going out of their way to make their games more accessible, to make them more fun. Um, and to give the fans what they want. So, look, I- I'm pretty happy with how everything's going, and I'm really looking forward to playing in the blue Dragon GT um, in a couple weeks. <laughs> we of got we- that. Yeah, oh, God, it only took a month. Um, in, um, what, four or five weeks? Um, and, yeah, man, just hanging out with the community and seeing where people are at with this. Um, I- I'm I'm keen. I guess uh, before we roll out, Nick, is there anything else you sort of want to conclude with as far as uh, get where Games Workshop's going? Um, I know that you didn't work for the company, but you this was also a large part of your life for a really long time. And I don't want to sort of belittle that by saying, well, you didn't work for the company, if that makes sense.
1: I think... A lot of people were always very negative at Games Workshop for, for things they did through, you know, when I was playing Fantasy, which was through 6th and 7th and 8th edition. And, you know, part of that comes from their pricing and the fact that they didn't communicate at all with people. Mm. And, and so when, when 8th edition died and, and, and was, you know, gotten rid of, it, it alienated a lot of people. And for, for quite a while, I was kind of in that bracket. Mm. Um, and there's people I know that will never come back to games workshop because they just felt so kind of betrayed by, by the company. But for me, I never had that kind of crazy loyalty to the company itself. I just loved the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I was one of those guys. I, while well, I played some of the specialist games and, and kind of dabbled in 40 K sort of early on. My, my main game was, was just Warhammer fantasy. So that was, that was my real attachment. And so, when that went away, I kind of detached and went 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 elsewhere, but mm. I've kind of come back and I could I kind of recognize that the the community interaction that Games Workshop are now doing is a very good thing and it's it's definitely helping and it's getting people like me back on side with the company that that three years ago were were not feeling very good about Games Workshop. And I think at the end of the day, you kind of said it, it's about the community. It's about playing games with our mates, with meeting new people, you know, playing against people we haven't seen for a little while. You know, that's what's brought me back. That's what's going to keep me playing. If the community doesn't like the game, the community goes somewhere else. I'll probably go somewhere else as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well said. Now, um, I do want to say, moving on, that I got some very interesting feedback um, from the last Games Workshop episode. I started out by getting my first, I mean, I I got some really unpleasant messages about um, covering games, workshop games. Uh, I'm sorry that some people who are listening right now may not be um, big fans. Um, That ties in with what Nick was just saying. Um, Some people feel really betrayed, and believe me, I understand and I get that. Uh, I'm just really excited in where things are going and how I might have fun along the way with old mates doing that. Um, Will the show turn into a games workshop show? Look, I can't imagine that, um, given how much I enjoy, you know, bolt action, for example, um, and just other games that I play. Um, Cast Dice is, by definition, though, a generalist wargaming cast or tabletop cast. So... There will be Games Workshop games covered on this cast, and yes, I will be giving some airtime to Age of Sigmar along the way. Um, will every show be that? No. The last two have been about bolt action. Um, the next one, Lord knows what it'll be about. I actually know what it's going to be about. It, it. I'm just not going to spoil it yet. Um, so, I, I I beg patience for those who may um, feel hurt or betrayed. Um Uh, please uh, continue to listen to the shows that don't have to do with Games Workshop if this is not your bag. Um, I hope that anyone who's listening, though, enjoys it. Um, If you have um, some, some warm or cool feedback... As always, I would love to hear it. If you go to the Facebook page, um, you can just type into the Facebook search algorithm, Cast Dice, that's C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. That was a joke on the last Dwellers cast, but I do say that at the end of every episode. Um, If you go in there, you'll find a webpage called The Land of Misfit Toys slash the home of the Cast Dice podcast. That is my webpage. That's my... um, My hobby progress page, just message there. You'll always get me. My name is Brad. um, And I would love to hear from you. I do actually also need to acknowledge quite a few people who have sort of had a similar journey to me um, and uh, Mark, who's on the last GW cast. We were talking about the company in general um, and sort of feels similarly, like going to give things a go. I got some really great feedback from people I'd never heard from um, before. Previously, you said they really enjoyed those shows. So, um, again, we're going to explore the gaming industry as it changes. Um, There's some great stuff out there, and um, hopefully you'll enjoy the ride that we take. But I think that takes us to the end of this episode. Before I do the sign off, I have to say, Nick, it has been a pleasure podcasting with you today, sir. Thank you for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Anytime, brother. Literally anytime. And uh, post-dragon of whatever color it is. Just getting blue. Um, <laughs> post that, we will definitely have to uh, touch base and talk shop um, because I will definitely have a head full of um, numbers and ideas and craziness, I'm sure, that will need to be explored, and I hope you will be a part of that. Can't wait. Boom. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as always, I hope that no matter what, your beverages stay cold as ice, your dice roll red hot, But no matter what you are doing, no matter who you are doing it with, I hope that you are having fun.